The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Good job. Thanks, Jackson. Appreciate that. I feel like God's Word is made fresh as we hear it read from young people in our church. What a great blessing to have that. There's something special about today. Obviously, it's evident. We've already been talking about it. Uh, I want to talk to the young ones that are with us today and remaining in our service. Uh, you are an irreplaceable part of the family of God and our family here at Holy Cross. We're so thankful that you're here. I know that Sundays come, and if you've been here with us before, Sundays come, and there's a portion in our time where we dismiss you to your classroom. And I want you to know that it's never because we don't want you here. Uh, we dismiss you not because uh, we don't think that you can handle what we are talking about. Because what happens here in this room is what happens in every other room is where we learn about God, His love for us, and how to enjoy Him, know Him, and live for Him in all of our life. And so today, we are excited to do this together in one room and as one church that follows Jesus together. And for parents, people often ask me, do you ever get nervous, like standing up every single week and like teaching? The answer is absolutely not. Today, I'm terrified, okay? <laughs> this is scary. Uh, if, you can, if you can teach to those under 10 years old, uh, I think you can do anything. Uh, and so what a, great, what a great opportunity we have today. But parents, as adults, uh, whether you are a parent, grandparent, or you do not have children, as adults, uh, never forget God's calling on your life to be instruments of, of God's grace and modeling for the young people in our church how to live for God, uh, sit under His teaching, uh, lift our voices in praise, offer our sacrifices in the form of our, of our time and talent and treasure, and how to engage in God's mission uh, through service. You are an irreplaceable part of this family as well, and I'm so glad that you're here. You guys want to see a picture of my family? It's Family Sunday. Here's a picture. Here's a picture. I'm really glad you said, yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a beautiful, very beautiful family. Uh, I'm glad you said yes, because I didn't have a plan B for this morning if you said no, that you didn't want to see it. And, and I don't know if some of you expected me to get like, super spiritual and actually show a picture of my family and like, have a picture of all you guys and things like that. No, this is like, like my family. You, you are my family. This is my family. Um, Cohen, Kate, and Quinn, and my wife, Janae. And there's something about pictures that are so neat. As, we, as my wife and I look at pictures of our family and our children as they grow over the years, they change, their shape changes, their size changes. Uh, so many things change about them, but there are some things that seem so embedded into the people that they are. We can look at them at any age and even as they grow, and, and there's something about their character that is embedded in who they are that we see in every photo. It's amazing how pictures can do this. And they say that pictures speak a thousand words. It's really true. For instance, in Cohen, there's always pictures as we look upon him and we see that these pictures capture his courage, his, his kindness. There's a sense of integrity and a passion for doing what is right when we look at Cohen's picture. And a, and a desire for belonging and love for his family. He always has his arms around whoever is next to him. We look at Kate, and if you look closely, you'll always see an eagerness to wrap her arms around your neck as quickly as possible. She, is, she, she, would, she would love to dance with you as much as she would love to laugh with you. She is a great friend. You spend 30 seconds with Kate, and she is like your instant best friend. 
We see that in her face and her eyes in the pictures that we see. And then there's Quinn, our youngest. A look of adventure is never far from her eyes. You can see, you can't see it. I can see it as I'm closer, but she's actually not looking at the camera. She's actually looking out of the corner of her eyes. She's looking at the ocean. And it's this look on her face that we see in every picture that says, that looks terrifying. Let's go there. Okay? <laughs> so there's this picture of adventure and maybe even a little domination in her face. But they change, their, their, their size change, their age change, but every picture ca captures a thousand words. It's the same way when we look at the Bible. When we look at God's Word and open it up, we see a thousand pictures of Christ. And the situation might be different, the story might be different, and yet embedded in these stories are things that we learn about who God is and what He has done for us. Countless pictures. Every story that we read in the Bible is telling us something about who Jesus would be. Every circumstance, every conflict is a snapshot of what Jesus would accomplish for us. Old Testament, New Testament, it is all about Jesus. It's one of the greatest blessings of the Bible. Kids and parents who are here and adults, if you're ever wondering, how can I learn more about God? One of the blessings of the Bible is that it's through God's Word, His Bible, that we come to know what God is like and what He has done. One of the, and, and one of the ways the Bible describes who Jesus is, is that He is the Son of Man. And that's what I want to talk about today. And Family Sunday, I want to talk about Jesus as the Son, the Son of Man. It's His favorite nickname for Himself. Do you have a nickname? Young ones here, do you have a nickname? Your friends or parents have a nickname for you? Anyone want to share a couple Gwen? Uh, Gwenet. Gwenet, I like it. Anybody else have a nickname? Gus? Gusty. Gusty. Caitlin, what about you? KK. Kiki, do you love? Oh, sorry, KK, that's different. Okay. What else? Any other nicknames? Hannah Banana. Hannah Banana. Mason? Mace. Love it. Gwen? Coco. Awesome. Great nickname, something I bet if we, I bet we could spend time hearing stories about how'd you come up with that nickname? Uh, I'm sure there's a fun story, I'm sure there's a funny story, I'm sure there's a meaningful story for how you got your nickname, adults think of your nickname, you know, T-Bone, whatever it is, I don't know what, I don't know what you're into, but think about that nickname, maybe, there, maybe it's tied to a story that you're not free to share. Jesus' favorite nickname for himself was the Son of Man. He calls himself this, he refers to himself as the Son of Man more than 50 times, 50 different occurrences in the New Testament. This is significant. If there was a nickname that he wants people to know that was tied to a, who he is and what kind of person he would be and what kind of works he would accomplish, he wants us to know that he is the Son of Man. And so the Bible writers and, and, and God's people from long ago hear this and they ask the right question. They say, what does it mean? What's the story behind that name? What's the story behind that nickname? And Psalm 8 tells us the story behind Jesus' nickname, that he is the Son of Man. And when we understand Jesus' nickname, the Son of Man, you're going to find the key that unlocks the door to the love of God for you. That's a, that's a bold statement, don't you think? If you understand what the Son of Man means, what that nickname means about Jesus and his work and his nature, you are going to understand how 
to, to know the love of God for your life. You figure out this nickname, you figure out God's love for you. So let's look at Psalm 8, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, you can keep your, your pages open to Psalm 8, or you can follow along on the screen as we work through this psalm. If you have your Bibles, why don't you just go there? Follow along with us. Verse 1 and 2, let's look at that. Verse 1 and 2 tells us of the goodness of God's existence and His creation power in the world. The psalmist says, Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. You are, you are majestic. You are wonderful. Why is God majestic? Why is he called majesty? God is described as majestic. This is a word we don't use a lot, but God is described as majestic because he is not like his creation. God is showing us that he's different from his creation. He is above it. He is high above it. He is seated even above the highest point that we can think of, right? The heavens. And God says, I'm even higher than that. He has no equal in all of the world that even comes close to being like him. Uh, this over the summer, we went to SeaWorld. Our family went to SeaWorld, and we went to the Orca show. And they talked a lot about the Orca being the, the apex predator. How would you like that if that, that was your nickname? So what do people call you? Apex. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, like a mountain, it's like the tallest part. That's me. You know, like the, the, the tip of a, of a tree, of the highest tree? That's the apex. That's me. What an amazing nickname. What an amazing way to describe yourself. I'm the apex predator. It means that there is no equal in all of the ocean like the orca. There is nothing the orca is afraid of. The orca is at the top of the food chase. Also learn that he's actually, the orcas are the biggest dolphins. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. They're just kind of making up stuff now, I think. God is like this. God is like this. God is showing himself to be the apex. He's saying, think of the, think of the most amazing thing that you can think of. Everyone here, think of the most amazing thing, the most beautiful thing, the most fun thing you've ever been a part of. God says, I've even, I'm even better than that. Think of the farthest point you've ever been. He's, God says, I'm even broader than that. I'm bigger than that. Think of the strongest thing in all the world. God says, I'm even stronger than that. Think of the, most, the wisest person, the smartest person. God says, I'm, I'm smarter than that. He is describing himself as the apex. God rules it all because he created it all and he is above it all. And when God speaks, the conversation is over because everything that God says is right and true and good and perfect and the best. And everything that we see in God's character, if we see it rightly, it will cause us to say, wow, wow, how majestic is your name. What an amazing God. And this causes the writer of this psalm, David, who is writing this, to say, God, if you're so great, now listen to this. He says, God, if you're so great, why would you even pay attention to me? Why would you even pay attention to me? You see, he turns to verse 3, and if you're looking there, why don't you look with me? David says, when I look to the heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You see, he turns to verse 3 and he says, I look around at everything that you have made and it, and it is beautiful. 
The stars are amazing. The moon, astonishing. So who am I? I make mistakes, God. I, I fail all the time. I, I have anger in my heart. I disobey my parents. I, 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 I am selfish. I'm prideful. I've organized my life just my own personal comfort and my own personal goals. God, why, out of all this beauty, would you even think of me and even consider me for a moment? I'm just a worm. Why would you think of me? What is he doing? What is David doing as he asks this question? Well, there's something, that we, something we do in our family. Maybe you do this in your family as well. When we are trying to express our love for one another, here's what we say. We say things like, I love you higher than the mountains. Or we say things like, I love you wider than the Grand Canyon. Or we say, I, I love you deeper than the ocean. You ever do that? Our wonderful daughter, Kate, will even say recently, she says, I love you more than everything Jesus has ever made. You say, that's still not enough. No, <laughs> <clears throat> You see what we're doing? We do it, and the psalmist is doing it. He picks things that are beautiful in nature, and he says, these things are more beautiful than me. Why would you even think of me? Why don't you, just, why don't you love those things instead? I want you to think about it. He says, of all the things that are so great, they're clearly greater than me, because I don't follow you as I should. I don't love you as I should. I don't love others as you've told me to love others. What am I that you would care for me? Why wouldn't you just love all of these other beautiful things in creation? I have a million, different, a million different examples of things that are better than me. You should love those things. The oceans inspire awe. The mountains take our breath away. There's vast beauty in nature that does something to our senses that an Instagram picture will never capture. And if we pause long enough on verses 1 to 4, we should begin to agree with David. We should begin to agree with David that we don't deserve the care of God. We see our sin, we see our foolishness, our selfishness, our anger and hatred towards others. We see that we are not worthy to be counted among the wonderful things in creation. And God's word says something to us as we reflect on that. And as David reflects on it, God responds to him. And God says something like this. He says, not so fast. First of all, God doesn't make garbage. God doesn't make garbage. As he creates us in his image, he, and he gives us value and dignity and worth. That, that means that the life of a human being will always be more important than the life of anything else in creation. Animals and plants or, 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 or anything else. There's something about the human life that is the apex of all creatures that God has made. Because we are mated. We are, yeah, mated. I'm talking like the kids in the room. We're made the image of God, and loved by Him in a special way. But being made in the image of God is good enough to, for God to be mindful of us, but it is not good enough to have God's love and forgiveness and to be saved by God. There must be something else. See, being made in the image of God gives us dignity, but it doesn't give us salvation. God is wanting to tell us that we need something else. There needs to be another son of man. Another son of man to walk the path of our life, to face every temptation that we have faced, faced, and to be faithful where we have failed. Instead of where we have been sinful, we need another son of man to walk that life, to be tempted where we are tempted, and to do what God has told us to do without sin. Men, women, and children are given responsibility. We're told by God in His Word to live a certain way. We're given calling. We're even given dominion over creation. To, to cultivate the earth and all that God has done, and to cultivate it in a way that blesses God and blesses others. And we don't do that. 
We neglect our calling. We misuse God's blessings. And this is what sin is. Anything that God tells us to do or anything that God, anything that God has shown us to be and neglecting those things, that's what sin is. And even man, in the worst of our sins, a miracle happens. We look at all of creation, we say, God, why are you even mindful of me? And God does not forget us. God actually remembers us. God considers us. He is mindful of us. And he remembers us. The psalm wants us to see that God is way up there, and we are way down here, just making a mess of things. And we cry out and say, God, how is it possible that that you are so great, and I am so small, and you still love me? And he says, only because a great God because became a great man, so that sinful men and women and children could become what God made them to become, loved, forgiven, and in God's pleasure forever. You see, kids, families, if you're following along in the family bulletin today, there's a portion in your bulletin that tells you to put tally marks on different words that are spoken. And I just want to give you an update. If you're looking at the box that says love, I've said it 18 times already. Okay? And I'm going to say it maybe a few more because the question is, God, why would you even love me 19 times? And the question is, why would you be mindful of me and consider me? You're way up there. I'm way down here. And God says, because I'm going to bring another son of man who will be born just, to, just like you, who will experience life just like you, but he will live it perfectly as I've asked you to do it. He will live the life that you've been called to live. He will die the death you deserve to die. So that trusting in him, you could have the destiny that I have created for you. Life with me, enjoying my love forever and in my pleasure forever. Forgiveness of sins. If you're a child, you should know that you're not a perfect child. Moana wasn't a perfect daughter. Right? So I have been told, you should know that you're not a perfect child, but loved by God still. Why are you loved by God still? Because Jesus became just like you to do everything that you should have done so that trusting in Jesus, you would know him and be with him forever. Are you an adult? You should know that you are not a perfect adult. I know, preaching to the choir. But Jesus was the perfect adult. You see, the perfect human who was righteous where you were, were supposed to be righteous, but you are broken. He was wise where you are foolish. He's patient where you are faithless. Who is the Son of Man? He's Jesus. Who is the one who is strong where you are weak? He is faithful where you are faithless, who lived the life you should have lived but failed to live even to this day. And he is the one who alone can bring us home to be with him forever in his care. He's crowned with glory and honor, as the psalmist tells us, and all things are placed under his feet as a reward to his faithfulness and righteousness and obedience in perfect life and death and resurrection. And he turns to his brothers and sisters and and in the family of God and says, this is my gift to you. Where you have failed, I have succeeded. And the reward that God has given to me, I give now to you to share with you. This is my grace to you. Rest freely in what I have done. Rest freely in the gift of this good news. The response to this gospel, how do we react to this? So we look at God's greatness, we see our sin, we see that God has, has, has given us a, a, a Savior, and we say, what do we do now? Well, let's, we end the same way the psalmist ends. He ends the same way he began. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Bookends. You have bookends in your home, on the bookshelf. Kids, you can recall, like, you have bookends. You see bookends in your, in your family room where you have books and you're holding together. What are bookends? Bookends are there to hold the books together, to keep it all together. The psalmist is praising God, and there's bookends to his song. He says, oh, Lord, our Lord, you're awesome. You're awesome. And if nothing else happens, you're awesome. But then he goes through this reality of realizing that you're awesome and I'm not awesome. But you've given me Jesus. You're awesome. And he ends that way. And this is what it means to be a Christian. To know that God is good, that we have sinned, but he has saved us. He's given us Jesus in his life and death and resurrection. And we trust in him. We look at who he is. And it kind of takes our breath away. The more we realize that God is not like us, the more we feel small. We become ashamed and feeling worthless. Then we're amazed that he would still want to have fellowship with us and love us and even die for us. Defeating sin in our life and making us new by the power of his gospel. And then we end where we started. We say, God, you are awesome. Just amazed and in awe of who he is and what he has done. You see, if you're amazed and in awe of God and his greatness, but you do not have this ever-present realization of your constant dependency on God, then you're not looking at God, you're looking at something else. If you're aware of how sinful you are, and you always know it, you have this ever-present awareness that you are not meeting up to God's standards, but you are not aware of how awesome He is, you're not looking at God, you're looking at something else. When we look at God, we ought to see His grace poured out for us. We ought to see His majesty, His love, His wisdom. We ought to see His glory and honor. And then we also should see the cross where His love poured out for us, dying for us. And we as needy sinners, we look at that and we say, wow, you are so great that you would even consider me. And, and then we repent of our sins. We leave a life of sin behind. We pick up our cross and trust in Jesus. We say, God, I'm going to stop living that old way of life where I was depending on myself, trying to save myself by being really good and doing what you say. And I'm going to start trusting in Jesus for, for my dignity, my value, and your acceptance in my life. Thank you for everything that you have done. And we can't help but then live a life of praise to him. Who is the son of man? He is our older brother. On Family Sunday, we remember that we are part of a family. And our perfect older brother did everything our Father in heaven told us to do. And we're in trouble. We're the sibling that's like, great, now we're going to miss out and you're going to get all the goods. And Jesus does say, he says, you're right. <laughs> you didn't do it right, but I'm your big brother and I did it right. And I'm going to share it all with you. Trust in me. Follow me. Believe in me and you'll have everything that God has promised to you. Isn't that good news? Let's thank God. Let's pray together.